1: Hi, welcome to a special edition of the Hollywood Crime Scene mini episode.
0: Hi, happy Thanksgiving.
1: (laughs) Wow. In the future. In the future. We're recording this before Thanksgiving. But we do have a special episode For for you that is related to a case we covered during Halloween month. Desi, take it away.
0: So back in October, I covered the story of Colleen Stan this is also known as the girl in the box case. And during that episode, I mentioned a woman named Mary Elizabeth Spinaki. She was believed to be the first victim of Cameron Hooker, something that his wife basically confirmed when she confessed to everything after getting her immunity deal. Now, although it seems pretty likely Cameron Hooker was her killer, we only have Janice's word on this. There's no physical evidence. Her body was never found. So it's technically an unsolved mystery or an unsolved murder. Sorry. Now, while researching the Colleen Stan case, I came across an old blog post by a woman named Jodie Foster, not the actress. And she was a single mom who ended up moving into Mar lizs that was her nickname, an old apartment in Chico. She had some disturbing experiences there, and I didn't have time to add it to my initial episode, so I decided I would make um, a mini episode that week for whatever reason. We didn't get to it that week. I think it was the end of the month, and things just piled up. And then days later, some of our listeners messaged us that there was an Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix about this very case, which was very weird because a similar thing had happened With my Flight 401 Patreon episode, when I wrote it, days later, a case, um, what was it called? A Discovery Plus documentary came out on The Hauntings. Which everyone should watch. It's excellent. It's really, it's a good one. So my sources for this mini episode are this Unsolved Mystery episode, old newspaper articles, and excerpts from Jodie Foster's book, Forgotten Burial, A Restless a restless spirit's plea for justice. The unsolved mystery is good, though. Colleen Stan is in it. Uh, Mary Elizabeth's sister, Martha, is in it. And obviously, Jody and her daughter and some of the investigators are in it. Of course, it's an unsolved mystery. I, I I like the people who get upset about unsolved mysteries not being solved. Wait a minute. <laughs> but people... that's like a whole thing on Twitter. I've seen several tweets now where they're like, it's not solved. It's like it's literally the title. They're not fuck they're not fucking around. <laughs> and in fact they wanna get tips, like Right. No,
1: I mean, okay, I am I'm acting shocked, but I should believe it just based on complaints we've gotten where they're like I don't like that you guys laugh. I'm like, we'll listen to another fucking (laughs) podcast, you weirdo.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. It is frustrating. But, you know, if you watch long enough, we all know... Sometimes Robert Stack had updates on these cases. <laughs> so you don't, do, watch, don't watch a show called Unsolved
1: Mysteries if you're looking for a solved mystery.
0: Uh, it's just a very funny, I think they must think it's unsolved, but on this show, we're going to tell you what <laughs> happened, maybe? I don't know. So here's the follow up to my Colleen Stan story. We're going to get a little deeper into Marliz's story just a bit before we get into the ghosty haunting stuff. Mary Elizabeth Spinaki moved to Chico from Cleveland in December of 1975. She was with her fiance, 24-year-old John Baruth, and they moved into an apartment at 125 Parmac Road. In January of 1976, Marla, Marliz, as I mentioned, is her nickname, uh, she was... 18 years old and looking for work. She, Her sister said she wanted to be an actress. She did pick up some small modeling gigs in Chico. And uh, things weren't going too well with her boyfriend almost immediately after they moved. The sister basically kind of describes him as a loser. I can tell the family did not like him. It doesn't mean he was a bad person. They just didn't like their 18-year-old going off with him, I guess. Uh, so they were starting to fight a lot. And according to the sister... Uh, in the Unsolved Mysteries, um, Marliz was planning on coming home in April. She was like, I'm done here. I want to come back home. Sadly, that would never come to pass. On the afternoon of January 31st, she and her boyfriend, John, went to a local flea market. They got into a fight, and Marliz wanted to leave. She She's only been in this town like a month and a half, so she doesn't really know it. She asks for directions, and she kind of just walks out of this flea market trying to find her way home. Um, So that's the last that anyone saw of her. John actually gets very worried uh, when he gets back home and she's not there. He files a missing persons report on February 2nd. Uh, According to him, nothing is missing from the apartment, meaning that all of her clothes are there, Her her toothbrush, her suitcases are still in place, so she didn't leave. Um, and a few pieces of evidence actually make him an initial suspect in the in the case. One of the things was, as I mentioned earlier, um, that Mar Liz had grown tired of their relationship and wanted out of it. Um, her mother was like, "He's in," according to her, the drug culture. So maybe it has something to do with him and that. And then there were these strange phone calls that he actually received while a detective was at his apartment. This person on the other end would just call and hang up when he answered. I think this actually might have been Janice. (gasps) It might have... I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show, but I think she was curious about this woman. Uh, They hadn't done this before, obviously, um, so she was stressed. Uh, In the the end, he took a polygraph test and he passed, so they kind of dropped him as a suspect. Now, the police kind of looked around. Uh, they interviewed all the people at the flea market, like the vendors and people who attended it. Um, they interviewed. They tried to find this woman she was friends with at the apartment complex, but she had moved out on January 31st, so she couldn't be located for an interview. And this lack of connection to her community, just because she had been there a short time, really made her kind of the perfect victim because no one knew to look for her right. or where she was or recognized her. So according to Janice Hooker, um, Marliz had run into them, the hookers. She said during her interviews with the police that they were on a shopping trip in Chico on January 31st. They saw her walking along Mangrove Avenue around 4 p.m. And she told the police they offered to give her a ride in their two-door Dodge Colt, the same one they used to pick up Colleen. So they had to like do the whole thing where they pull the front seat up and she climbs in the back, which is really like, that's like you're trapped right back there. Right, um, It's really scary. So according to Janice, when she opened the door to let her out, like they did drive her to her apartment. Cameron changed his mind, grabbed her by the wrist and pulled her back into the car. Um, and Janice did say that later she did look at her license mm-hmm. and that it was Mary Marie Elizabeth um, Spinaki. Now, obviously, this story is very similar to what happened to Colleen. They drove north on Highway 99, and at some point, he pulls over, takes out a wooden box that he built, and puts it over um, Marlis's head, and they drive to Red Bluff. They go to their Oak Street home, which is where they took Colleen. Uh, Cameron goes inside initially, leaving the two women in the car, and according to Janice, uh, Marlis is hysterical. And Janice tries to calm her down, telling her everything will be okay, which is obviously not true. Janice even tells the police that this is like his toy. Uh, so if we don't remember, she basically goes along with this, so he'll stop beating her. So right. he's like, I'll get. She'll let him have someone to do this kind of stuff too. So he carries her into the basement and he hung her by the hooks on the rafters. And Janice basically stays upstairs on the couch. Uh, according to her, just in shock um, at what they're doing. At some point, he brings um, Marlis to the bathroom. And I mentioned this in the last story. He wanted to cut her vocal cords, but he didn't do it correctly. And she started bleeding. So he asked for Janice's help. Uh, He took her down to the basement again. And then he comes back up saying, basically, like, "I, I don't know what I've done. He shot her and strangled her. And now she was dead. So Janice then um got him, helped him get a blanket so they could wrap up the body and bury it. She took the body with him to the car and they drove out to Redding on East Highway 44. It was snowing during this period, and when he pulled over off a dirt road, she said the ground was muddy. They got out a shovel and dug a hole about three feet deep and they buried the body um She said they were trudging through the snow and she couldn't remember the exact location. They didn't keep any of her belongings except for her license and the watch she had been wearing. Uh, He actually would wear this watch for a number of years until it got crushed at one of the lumber mills he was working um, at. According to Janice, she was in bed for weeks just sick about what they had done. We all know she got better because she agreed to do it again with Colleen. So... We'll take a break now and then we'll get into the story of what happened at the apartment.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? Visit betterhelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's hel slash HCS. So now we're moving on to the story of Jodie Foster. In the late 90s, uh, Jody, who was born in Orange County, she had a young daughter uh, she was a single mom, and they decided to move to Chico, California. Now they were not she wasn 't in the o c when this happened she had actually moved to rural Montana. She decided to move to Chico because she liked the town she had spent a summer in ninety seven there caring for her grandmother, and she had also gone to college there. Previously, like back in the day, Chico's a real party college town, right? Chico was always like the town, at least growing
1: up in California. Chico's always like, oh, you're going to Chico, you're going, you're going in there to get fucked and party, because it's like it's like Humboldt County, right? Or is it not? It's quite not. There? I don't think it's quite Humboldt County. I don't know. I've been to Chico before. I just
0: I don't know much about the Cal State school system, but I know Chico is like a party school. It
1: just has that <laughs> reputation. I don't. I I never went. I never partied at Chico or went there. Obviously, you I stayed down south to do that. So. Yeah, I didn't go to college, but um, I did actually tour Chico. With a friend who wanted to actually go to college, and I just was like, oh, get out of school today. Yeah, I'll go with you. I'll <laughs> pretend I'm going to go to college. <laughs> um But
0: yeah, it was the party place. I'm sure it's a party. I mean, it's nice up Northern California, but some of the towns are a little weird. They're small. It's, it's definitely beautiful up there. For sure. So... She, you know, has some friends there and they find her a nice two-bedroom apartment on Parmac Road. It is in a complex called the Walden Garden Apartments. It's a typical, you know, the two-level apartment building with the pool. Very Melrose place. Mm. <laughs> has flowers. It's, you know, it looks very cute and she likes it. Uh, She really thinks it's a good place to raise a child. It's a small town, but it has amenities. Um, So, yeah, they move in in April of 2000. She is 33 at the time, and her little girl is almost three. But within so she's lived her entire life pretty
1: much since she was a kid, being the second Jodie Foster. Yeah. Because she's this is 99. and she's yeah, in her, it's about, she's, no, it's two thousand. So she's okay. thirty
0: three in two thousand. So I'm sorry, that
1: has nothing to do with the case. No. I just can't get over her name's Jodie Foster. But
0: she, and it is a thing with her because in the unsolved mystery, she's like Jodie Foster, not the actress. I was like, God, you have to say that for every the rest time. Of, for, you've been saying that your whole life. <laughs> right? Cuz Jodie Foster's definitely older than this woman even if it's not by much, right? She's got to add a B like Michael B Jordan did. Absolutely. It is Jodie just J O D I, but no one knows that. No one, one you're knows saying. that. <laughs> so, within mere hours of being in this new apartment, Jodie gets an uneasy feeling. She says it's a feeling that's very dark, it doesn't feel peaceful, and she also See, she smells something. It's like, she's like kind of like a chemical smell, like a carpet cleaner type smell, but it's very overwhelming and it just doesn't dissipate. I always find that interesting how
1: ghosts, uh, like according to some people who have had ghost encounters, they'll say like, and then it started to smell. Like there's ghosts that emit smells. And
0: it's not always the same smell. They'll describe it differently.
1: Like, I started
0: smelling cigars. Yes. And I knew my grandpa was back. Yeah. Um, so she also said she felt like someone was watching her. And she it was just a feeling of unease. She, she tried to push her feelings aside. She kept reassuring herself that it's like a cute apartment. Everything's going to be fine. And she's like, I'm just going to ignore these feelings. And then according to her, the shit started hitting the fan. So the first weird incident that happened at this apartment, they had like a little shoe rack by the front door where Hannah would keep her little pink uh, sneakers. And one morning they were going out the door to get, they stopped to get the shoes and the shoes weren't there. Hannah didn't know where they were. And then they went in her bedroom and the shoes were right in the middle of Hannah's bed. Hannah's like, I didn't put them there. And the mom's like, okay, whatever. This happened day after day. Every time they would put the shoes on the rack, the next morning they would go uh, and their shoes would be in the middle of the bed again. Another incident that started happening on the regular, the salt and pepper shakers that they kept on their dining room table, when they would wake up in the morning, they would both be on the edge of the table. And they would put them back, and then the next morning they would be back on the edge. So this is a poltergeist they're dealing with. It's Yeah, it's not just like... It's like things are ha- like physically happening as well. Right. Uh, so before long, she starts having dreams. And these are very vivid dreams of strange events and places she's never been, people she's never seen. The first of these dreams actually takes place in this new a- apartment complex. In her dream, she sees a young man who appears to be in his early 20s. He's dressed very vintage, bell-bottoms, uh, glasses, And he is obviously someone she doesn't know who it is. In the dream, she feels like he's there stalking a girl. She also has a dream of a young girl walking down a street in Chico and being asked if she wants a ride. And then she sees the girl being pulled into the car with something put over her mouth. (gasps) So... Soon after these dreams start, one day she's like in the kitchen and she hears Hannah talking to someone. She's saying hi to someone, and she's like, "Who are you saying hi to?" And she's like, "The girl there, mom. The girl in my room." Oh,
2: she no. starts drawing
0: pictures of this girl, and she calls this this woman she's seeing My Liz. What? Yeah. So she says that this My Liz is my guardian angel this this person kisses her on the forehead at night and she has her hair in the, all the drawings and they you see the drawings in um, The Unsolved Mysteries. She has a dark brown hair with like a little bit of a flip to it. Hannah um, says that she thought uh, it was one of her mom's friends and she really thought that it was a real person. So one night, uh, Hannah and Jody go out to dinner together. When they come back to dinner, they notice that the receiver on their phone that's like kind of like on the wall is not where it is and it's in the back bedroom, which is not where they kept it. Then they go in Hannah's room and all of Hannah's toys are piled in the middle of the floor, like in a little mountain. And on top is Hannah's sleep and store Ernie, who has a noose tied around his neck. No. Yes. Now who did that? Obviously this they're in a panic. Cause they're like, her first thought is someone broke into the house yeah. uh, and is fucking with us. Um, so they just don't know what happened. She actually calls the police thinking there was like a break in and they are very dismissive of her. They're like, sure lady. Like, okay, sure. The, um, what is it? Stickle me snore or an Ernie. Like, it's just right. like, they, they're just like dismissive of her, of course. Yeah. Um, so she then has another dream and this dream, she's in a meadow, there's a large lava rock and she sees snow capped mountains. She, she senses like farm animal smells are near. She hears a stream and she sees, um, a road marker that says a 17. Now, in addition to these dreams, the haunting things start really, uh, upping their, um, frequency, lights start turning on in the middle of the night. Her clocks will always read the wrong times no matter how many times she changes them. Blinds will open and close without her doing it. And all of these events occurred between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. A majority of them seem to happen at 3.37 a.m. exactly. And it's just like baffling to her what's going on. Now, one night she wakes up in the middle of the night because she hears something. It's white, staticky TV noise. And she goes in the living room, and the TV is on that ah. static station, like poltergeist. Once she notices that, starts start opening and closing. Oh and her burner is on high. One of her gas burners is on high uh, on the stove. Then she hears the, t- the sleep and snore Ernie doll. It's saying over and over again, I feel great, I feel great, I feel great, yes, and it's really scary in The Unsolved Mystery because they do this reenactment for this segment. She takes the batteries out and it still starts singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Stop it. Yes. Um, then all the lights in the apartment go on. every single light in the apartment. She goes to the manager at this point, even though it's the middle of the night and wakes the manager up. Yeah, and she's like, "What's going on?" I kept thinking of Michael Mancini like, "Okay, come on, Jane. Yeah like, I don't know. If that's like on my brain so much right now, right, right. So the manager gets her poodle. And goes to the apartment. What is the poodle going to I just picture this like middle-aged woman with her fucking poodle like, okay, (laughs) come on, Suzette. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yes. The poodle immediately starts yapping in the apartment. Now that might just be what poodles do. Then one of the lamp cords starts swinging like a jump rope and they all scream and run out of the apartment.
1: Was the manager in the documentary... I would like, no, she I wasn't. I want her confirmation. <laughs>
0: She's like sounds like a John Waters character. She does. Um, they literally stay outside crying until six a.m. Like they can't go back into the apartment. They're so scared. No, that morning, another old man who kind of lives in the building, he comes out and talks to Jody, and he's like, "Nobody lives there very long." And he tells her that a very long time ago, there was a woman who lived in that apartment who went missing. Now, she's like at wit's end here because, like I said, she's a single mom. She doesn't really have a lot of options. She's in this apartment. It's not that easy to just move. This is like my nightmare in terms of being
1: haunted. And this, I mean, it just must suck to move into a haunted apartment or a haunted house because like moving, A, moving sucks. B, fine. Look, we all know the real estate market. Yeah. Yeah. And the renters market—it's
0: tough. It's tough
1: finding a place. And you need
0: money. You need deposit. You need mu- help moving, or pe- you know what I mean. Like,
1: so if your living situation is like ridiculously haunted like this, that is such a pain in the ass.
0: So a quote from Jody is like, "Who do you call?" And it's like Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> Of course, you know she didn't know we were all going to say that. She's sincere. She's like, "Who do you call when all your lights in your home turn on in the middle of the night, or your telephone cord starts swinging like a jump rope? You can't call the police. I call the police, and they just think you're crazy. Uh, you got to call Steve Shipp or Shap. What's Shippy. his name? Shippy. Steve Shippy. I was close.
1: Honestly, we fuck the space force. We really do need the ghost. The Ghostbusters. I think.
0: I think we can all agree uh, we should have a federally funded paranormal investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if we're blowing money on on pork, why not that? We should found that. <laughs> I think we should be the founders of that. I, I think it would be funny. And I would hire Steve Shippey as the director. But we need episodes weekly. From what they're they're up to, right? I can see it their also antics needs to constantly. Be a, it
1: needs to be a TV show as well, like just yeah, like they're the local ghost busting hijinks they get into.
0: He's the best ghostbuster in the biz, in my opinion. I agree. And the woman, she's great too. I love she's, her. What is she? Is she's like a she's a psychic, clairvoyant, psychic, yeah, empath, uh, all of those things. Yeah. So uh, the final most graphic dream she has. Um, is while she's still living in the Parmac Road apartment, and it's very detailed. She sees a girl with dark brown hair in a basement of a home that's almost dungeon-like. There's a man in there with her, and she sees the girl's naked body hanging from hooks on a ceiling. He seems to be enjoying uh, torturing her. He's whipping her. Uh, She sees um, the throat slit in the dream. She also watches him take a gold watch from her wrist she says that she sees him bite off her nipple and put both of those in a small wooden box with a lock of her hair. Then he walks upstairs and she sees a woman crying on a couch. And she, the woman goes down into the downstairs area with the other girl and they clean her body. She In the dream, she sees the body taken from the rafter in a blanket and driving through a town on Highway 44, and she keeps seeing a sign that says, A-17, A-17, and that is actually a small highway up there. She also sees them bury the body, and then she wakes up. Fuck. Now, this is obviously a very frightening and vivid nightmare, and this is what finally gets her to move out of the apartment. She's like, I can't take it anymore. Uh, they were there less than three months before it was finally too much. She actually makes an appointment at the Butte County Behavioral Health Center, thinking that there's something wrong with her, mm. that maybe she's suffering some kind of mental illness episode or whatever. And she stays. Um, she stays there for a few days before, um, you know, hooking up with a friend who lets her stay. Her and Hannah stay with them now. At some point after living in this apartment, she starts dating a man, and he's reading a book called The Perfect Victim, which is the book about Colleen Stan. Right. He, at some point, he's like, Jody, like, they mention someone who, in Chico, because that gets mentioned in this book, uh, and they find an old newspaper article about the Colleen Stan case. They're actually, like, doing the microfiche at the public library, like, (laughs) pulling up old newspaper articles back then. And they find an article up, and the name Mar-Liz is mentioned. Now, this sends her into a tailspin because she's like, my Liz, that's Mar-Liz, my Liz, that's what Hannah was saying. Right. So she, at this point, is like, this girl is trying to talk to me and these dreams actually mean something after all. She's trying to be found. Now, after she moves out of this apartment, she does continue to have dreams. They don't end... When she leaves the apartment, that sucks. I know, right? Uh, it's like when they go with you, right? So she just like starts having more dreams with the numbers um, a seventeen, also the number thirty five point seven six, which they later think might be like how many miles they drove on a certain freeway. And the dreams are less frequent, but they keep her in this strange state of feeling haunted. Like she doesn't feel like she's exactly escaped it. And she eventually, after kind of trying to like push it aside and not get drawn into this thing, she decides to do more research. She visits um, a records office and this is where she first sees pictures of Marla. She hadn't seen a picture at this point and they look Very similar to the depictions that Hannah had drawn as a child, including the hairstyle, which is very specifically mid-70s, that kind of little flip, uh, like the shaggy little flip hair that some people had, like feathered, I guess. Um, And Hannah, she shows Hannah the picture and Hannah's like, yes, that's her. That's (sighs) her. So she then experiences um, a series of other coincidences that connect her to this case that make her believe even more that Liz is trying to reach out to her. Um, she finds out that Colleen Stan has moved to Chico, so she's in this area as well. Another person she knows told her that Janice Hooker, who is going by um, Janice Lashley now, worked at the behavioral health center she went to after she... I was in the haunted apartment right? and she that, stayed for
1: a few days. That's one of the wild details from the Colleen Stan case is that the other perpetrator in that
0: crime is now like a therapist. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, what do you do when you find that out? When <laughs> it's, no, it's like, does that make you feel better? Like, oh, she's fucked up too? No, that I makes mean, me feel... I w- I would...
1: I I don't I don't think I could have that person as my therapist. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: fucking weird. It's so fucking weird. I don't weird. Know. I mean, it's a weird choice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, she's also driving in town one day and she gets really hysterical out of nowhere. She has to actually pull the car over, get out and calm herself down. She's standing at the mailbox of a house and there's a woman there. Uh, She later learns that that address she stopped at was Janice Lashley, and Janice was standing right there when she pulled over. Come on. I mean, that's what she said. Wow. (laughs) I mean, maybe Chico's a small town. (laughs) So word starts getting out about uh, her experiences, and a a show which I want to find and watch called Psychic Kids (laughs) actually... (laughs) We, we gotta find the show. We gotta find
1: it. We need to do a re- review, a recap of this I show. I wanna be
0: on this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna host Blanky it. kids. Doesn't that sound, I mean, maybe it never got off the air, got on the air, but like they wanna profile Hannah for an episode. Uh, I guess a friend of hers maybe tipped it off or something too. Oh so, my God. Uh, Jody agrees to let Hannah go on the show, and they come to her home in 2008. They whatever tape all their interviews. And the show's producers are very surprised that Hannah is not really fe- fearful of this ghost experience she's had. They asked her if she's afraid. And she's like, No, that's my Liz. Like, she's nice and she's my angel. Like, she protects me. She says, It's not all about being scared, it's about having a gift. So, they asked us. Uh, uh, Jody says they asked us if we wanted to go to the mountains to try to find the body. And somehow I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, so I said no. In the end, the producers don't air this episode, and Jody was fine with that because she does feel like during the process of taping this show, she got um she was sort of confirmed that she does have this uh, psychic and psychological gift like gift. Sorry, gift. Um. Like she got evaluated by people and they confirmed they did all those tests. Right. I'm like picturing those tests with like the cards yeah. and stuff from the 50s. Right. Um, so she's like, great, I'm not crazy. I'm actually maybe a little bit psychic. She then decides that she's gonna contact the Chico Police Department. She speaks with Sergeant Rob Merrifield and he listens to her story about her dreams. Uh, he tells her to call the Red Bluff Police Department, probably just trying to get rid of her. He, I mean, she speaks fondly of him, but she's like, he's definitely a skeptic. But he's kind of like, I guess, like stranger things have happened. Go ahead, call them. Yeah. Um, he doesn't believe in psychics. But she does contact the police in Red Bluff, and they're kind of like, seem really surprised to hear from her. She's like in a weird way when she tells them what she's calling about at the exact time that she calls them, they actually have the Spina, um Spinaque case box on their desk, considering whether they should reopen it or not. Jesus. So they're like legitimately freaked out when she calls and it kind of like cements their decision to reopen the case. Cause they're like, well, maybe this means something. So, of course, like when you, I think on the episode we do see some from the police that she contacted, and they're always kind of like, we can't really give information about the case or where we're at because they're trying to find this body, obviously. And um, they, she did work with them though, uh, and according to the police, they they don't have any question in their mind that he killed her. They believe he absolutely did, but of course, without finding the body, they can't really. Um, they can't try him for it or take the court the case to court. I forgot. Is he still alive? Yes. Okay. And he's still trying to get out of prison. Like, right? He, he's up for parole frequently. Yeah. Which is gross. Yeah. Um. So, she's helped them. Um. Though she often, re- she like initially she was receiving phone calls from the Red Bluff Bluff Police weekly, and one of them met her at some point and they were in Starbucks for three hours going over the details in her dreams. Um, So they definitely are, they're like anything (laughs) we'll take any help we can get. So this is current that Um, that
1: this, they're investigating this again, this case. Yes. Or relatively relatively
0: recently. So the unsolved mysteries just came out obviously. So in the past years, I don't know how unsolved cases work. Yeah. Like if, how, if, if they're very actively being solved or do they get put in the put in the closet or whatever yeah. and no one's thinking about it like i just don't know the if there's procedures about it or is it just someone having some time and like oh maybe i'll look at these old cases do you right. know what
1: i mean like or it's some weird thing some weird piece of evidence coming to the surface and then oh we got to reopen this case
0: that i think happens a lot but i do think there are instances in cases that we've probably talked about or that we know about, where some detective just has a bug up his ass about a certain case. Well, right?
1: we did a case year a few years ago, the, um, what was that bitch's name? The cop, the cop. Who, oh, Stephanie. Stephanie something. I was she, like,
0: Rachel, don't call a victim a bitch. No, no. <laughs> no, no, just
1: kidding. The, the cop who killed her. Stephanie Lazarus. Stephanie Lazarus. She killed her ex she killed her ex boyfriend's new wife. Right. And that case went unsolved for like 30 years. And the only reason the case got reopened was because not even a, like a, it wasn't like a detective or anything. It was somebody who worked in like the science part of the division who was like a scientist. I, I don't remember. Yeah. There was some kind of scientist. And they noticed something, they just happened to stumble across something, and they said, "Wait a minute, why why didn't they look into this woman? Yeah, it's
0: it was like someone noticing something with fresh eyes or whatever. Like, it was a total yeah. fluke, and anyway, that's a that really, happens a lot, I think, yeah, so I feel like maybe you can open it a case if you want to. I don't know what like the rules are we don't know well, I don't know, because um, sometimes you're like, is it, are they just doing this for dramatic purposes?" <laughs> like this guy was like, hmm, let me just look at this one. I'll take it home with me. Right. Let's <laughs> see if I notice anything. So she has been asked to go into the area to see if she can kind of like psychically feel where the body is, but she hasn't done that because she doesn't want it to mess up with any vision she might have. Like if she sees the area, she might start getting influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has talked to numerous other people who have lived in the apartment and the complex in general. And many people have witnessed strange occurrences, such as radios turning up to full volume and things like that. And other other people claim to have seen visions of a girl, and most were young children who were seeing her. Wow! So, according to Jody, um, when she thinks about her experience, she uh, she's just really wants to find Marlis. Like yeah. that is her ultimate goal. She's like, is finding the remains and bringing closure to an old case what a miracle is is it bringing light to what happened and where the people who were involved are now i've come to the clu- conclusion that being aware is the perfect miracle this story couldn't lie dormant i want people to be aware and to be able to make choices so we can hopefully find marliz yeah and the family you know your heartbreaks for uh, martha is marliz's sister who's in unsolved mysteries and she, she, it's like they don't know where right. she is. Like, right. it's just so awful to yeah. never have that. And she, it's like your mind will play tricks on you, even though you logically know things. Like, the sister spoke about like thinking she saw Marlis in a movie mm. or something and being like, oh, maybe she did pursue her acting and just never told us or whatever. Like, uh, so it's like you need to know and have that ability to kind of like, whatever, have closure. To have guess. that closure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's so awful. Right. I hate when people can't find their loved ones' yeah, remains.
1: It's really sad. Wow, so yeah, that was super interesting. Um that's wild. That's really fucking wild that this woman had like that's a very haunted apartment.
0: I mean, that seems extreme. Like, like Steve would have had a field day in there he, Steve with his little machines. He would have shit. <laughs> he would
1: have taken a shit in the living room. His ectometer would have ect-
0: been off the
1: charts. would have been fucking off the charts. <laughs>
0: you can picture the recordings too. Marlis. Like, Steve would have been like, you guys. Wow! Well, look at that burner, dude. I did not touch. That. I did. You did you see me touch
1: it? I didn't touch it. I swear. Those
0: salt and pepper shakers.
1: Wow! No. Wow. He'd be
0: his mind would be fucking blown. We need to get him on the pod. Does anybody know Steve Shippy personally? I feel like we can get him. I feel we've like discussed we, this. I just feel like I just. I don't know. I just
1: would hope. I would want him to come on the pod if he was game to like.
0: Kind of laugh at himself a little bit. Like, I wouldn't make fun of him. I think what he needs to know is that we have a deep respect for him, but it's also funny sometimes. Yeah. And he if he can laugh at himself. Just a but little But also bit. know that we're supportive of him.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't... I, like, obviously, like, I can tell him and be like, look, I believe in
0: ghosts hardcore. Like very hardcore. So I'm not making fun of that. I'm interested in it, even if I don't necessarily believe in it. We, I'm, I'm kind of like, what's happening? We just think his show is like high camp. It is high camp. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> what's it's the, definitely high camp. That's camp. Like that's camp, his show. His show. It's on Discover. I mean, he. I don't know if he, his show has a name. Is it Shock Docs? I
0: think it's Shock Docs, but I don't even... I feel like that existed before him. Just look up Steve Shippey shows. Yeah, we've we covered the Danny Rawling one. Uh, yeah. and we covered recently the flight for the Ghost of Flight, the flight 41. The Flight
1: I want to give a uh let's name drop his partner, the psychic. I don't want to I called her that woman, but I don't I she deserves better than that.
0: Is it like is her name Stacy?
1: It's like it's like Kara or something.
0: <laughs> We're going to both be so
1: right. <laughs> I, it's, I feel hold on, Steve. I think her
0: last name is a Z. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's like Stephanie Kava or something. Kaza, I just, I just, Kaza. Kaza.
0: It's Kaza.
1: It's Cindy Kaza. Okay. It's
0: Cindy Kaza.
1: <laughs> She's a goth queen and I love her.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think they need to come on and I would love to do the show their show. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would love to be on their show, even though I would get scared. But I feel like I feel like Steve and Cindy would like, kind of, be excited if I was really scared.
0: Oh yeah, they want that. Here's the thing about him that I can always respect. In general, anyone who is very sincere, I will accept and respect. Like I like that he's very sincere, and he he has his reactions. That that's his reactions, right? He's not. He's not putting it on No He really believes in what he's doing And that's why I can respect him He's not a con guy Like Uh, You know I think he's totally sincere about his work Me too
1: He's uh, He's got a lot of followers on Instagram We should follow him We should follow him
0: I followed him from our Hollywood crime scene account So yeah Then he'll be like Wow Wow That's a bigger deal (laughs) Than one of us individually (laughs)